We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, what is up, everybody? Welcome inside the Guilty as Charged podcast, coming to you live on a Wednesday. We are officially one week away from the start of training camp. Rookies are already in the building. Veterans report on Monday. So excited to have all of that coming back so I can stop talking about dumb shit like Lakers versus Warriors. Uh, but it's all good. My name is Steven. I'm your host. Joining me are my guys, Tyler and Alex. Alex, uh, we just got news of the James Harden extension. So how you doing? Uh, we already knew he was coming back, but uh, yeah, we need football season. I can't keep debating the Warriors and Lakers on Twitter, please. I hate both of these teams. Uh, yeah, I mean, at least we're uh, we're not that dude on first take just throwing shit out and being what sticks to the wall. So it is what it is. More ringer and athletic, less ESPN will be very beneficial for everybody's mental health. I'm just saying that right now. Shit, Tyler's here as well, man. Shit, Tyler, I wish I was Mad Dog Russo. I could see what sticks to the wall every day. He gets like $10,000 an episode. <laughs> <laughs> Shit, I, I wish i could do that very true very true i think the rest of us though consume more ringer and athletic and uh i think that'd be very beneficial for yeah. our mental health tyler what's up man how you doing i'm doing very well a week away from training camp i have all my training camp tickets acquired i guess we just get them through Ticketmaster, uh, and i can't wait to be there i'll be there for all but i think three days of training camp so i'll try my best to you know, have some sort of good coverage for you guys. We're basically down to like one beat reporter and like me. So, you know, I'll, I'll do my best to try to cover the team. Follow me on social yeah. media, follow me on Twitter. I'll try to get something out there for you guys. 
Yeah, it's gonna be Daniel Popper and Tyler, and then you know random fan videos every every now and then. So uh, definitely follow Tyler. I'm still working out whether I'll be able to go to anything this year. Uh, our house has kind of hit a, a bit of a snag, so we'll see if it's how that's doing and whether or not I'm able to get training camp tickets. So in terms of training camp, how do the joint practices work? Because I know they're like exclusively for season ticket holders, but are they really or? it's tough because last year they advertised the scrimmage as being just for season ticket holders. And it was kind of like that for a while. Then suddenly they just opened it up to fans. Granted that was at SoFi stadium. This is just going to be at the, you know, at the facility. So I assume it is just for fans. It's like a fan or a season ticket holder, excuse me, plus like one person. So I could bring four people, I guess. Um, But yeah, we'll see. I I don't know exactly how that works. I don't know if they're going to change things the last minute, like they did last year. Well, I know I've messaged a few Cowboys fans that I talked to on social media and they're all super annoyed that they don't get to go down there. So um, I guess that's kind of a good thing that they're all just planning to hang out in Oxnard for a few days or I don't know what they're doing. But uh, hopefully it should be better than last year where against the Niners when it was like 90% Niners fans and like 99.9% Niners beat writers. That's right. I remember last year when all the Niners beat writers were like, just a, just a bunch of them covering the so team many. wonderfully and doing yeah. such a great job and videos and hearing what they hear on the field and talking about it. And our guys were just kind of like, never mind. But yeah, our, our best coverage of the scrimmage was Steven, it was uh, Tyler and Arjun at a car. Just, <laughs> <laughs> just like you couldn't even hear anything they were saying because it was so windy, but that was our best coverage. <laughs> Oh my goodness. Uh Kevin Kernick pointed out that he tried to get his training camp tickets a week ago, but Ticketmaster was down. Uh so I would definitely go check that. Um I was looking at it yesterday. I was able to access them. Uh again, wasn't able to, you know, purchase any just yet, but we'll, we'll figure that out. Um if you think Niners beat reporters are the worst, uh wait until you see the Cowboys ones. It's going to be uh, a crazy mess down there at least in terms of press. So uh we'll see. Um, all right, so today we have uh, a fun show planned for you guys. We're going to talk about underrated storylines and underrated Chargers players uh, ahead of training camp, ahead of the season. Um, obviously, both are, are classified. And then, um, you know, later on this week, we're going to dive fully into the position battles that we're most excited to see uh, unfold throughout training camp. So uh, let's start with Alex here. Alex, what is uh, one underrated storyline that you are paying attention to this season or in training camp? I'd say in training camp, it's um, mostly the defensive line, I think, is the underrated one. Um, whether it's underrated or overrated, I don't know. We don't have many Chargers beat reporters covering the team, so I think any under everything is kind of undercovered. Um, but at the same time, it's just like they brought in so many new guys. You have uh, Sebastian Joseph Day and you have Austin Johnson. Uh, it's going to look like a very different group than what we've been accustomed to the last few years, which has just been like, Jerry Tillery, Justin Jones, Linval Joseph, right? Um, so, you know, Tillery's still going to be here in what capacity, though? We don't really know at this point whether he's going to be a starter, whether Morgan Fox will supplant him. Um, and so they really have, I would say, three completely, you know, new starters in Austin, Sebastian Joseph Day, Austin Johnson, and Morgan Fox. You add in Otito Ogbonia, who's a new player. That's four guaranteed roster spots. Uh, at DT. Uh, and then you're looking at Jerry Tillery, who, I mean, I would count as a guaranteed roster spot at this point. 
And then you have probably five guys who are competing for one spot, or are they even going to keep a six DT at that point, or will they just roll with five? Um, you know, so I, I think that's going to be the most interesting one heading into training camp, just because of how much uncertainty there is. I think largely we know who the other players on the roster are going to be, but that group I think um, has the most flexibility to it and could be changed by the outcomes of preseason reps, uh, by the outcomes of training camp reps. It's kind of hard to, you know, really get into the trenches, I think, in training camp. But at the same time, I'm just very curious to see how that group looks uh, out the gate because it'll be very important that they look much better than they did last year. Um, and I think, you know, how can they kind of win within the margins and, you know, which guys does Staley and the defensive line coaching staff view as being important uh, through at least the first bit of training camp here that's a storyline that I think requires following most in addition to saying, you know, whether Tillery is a starter or not. Yeah. We've talked a lot about just like roster construction and, you know, what to do for Tillery versus Fox and like individually, what do these players bring? Um, but it is, you know, I'm very curious to see what this training camp battle really presents. Is it really a training camp battle or do we already know who the five are? Cause I think you can, Pretty much guarantee that Sebastian Joseph Day, Austin Johnson, Jerry Tillery, Morgan Fox, and Atito Oponia make the roster. And if they only keep five, that's the five. Like, that's it. And, you know, I don't think you can really cut Otito Obonia and expect him to be on the practice squad. So unless you are bumping that up to six, like, we already know who the five are. Every every spot is spoken for. And I know that there's been a lot of frustration about Jerry Tillery, and I, and I totally get that. I totally share that. But if you cut Jerry Tillery, Morgan Fox is your only pass rusher. As an, and, and as much as I think Sebastian Joseph Day will Im, be improved in that regard, like I think you need two legitimate pass rushers. And last year we saw them try and, and, and have that kind of construction with Justin Jones and Jerry Tillery, in my opinion. Um, so it is just going to be really cu uh, just curious in general how this plays out. Excited to see what Fajoko, Covington, Forrest Merrill – uh, and that group all kind of look at, and what exactly do they have to do to earn a roster spot? Yeah, there's so many juicy storylines out of this. I don't know if I'd consider the defensive line in general like an underrated storyline, but there's so many things I could like branch off of and find from there. And just, I just want to see if this team has learned from their mistakes from last year when it came to the interior defensive line. Like, do they keep six players? Like, it was desperately obvious, and it was they absolutely needed six guys out there. They ended up going with five, and that cost them significantly. And then they kept the wrong five guys, and they interchanged in and out. Like, so, you know, are the position battles even worth it? You know, the guys that did earn their spot last year didn't make the team. Is that worth it? So I'll definitely be watching that. And then when it comes to, I was surprised, given what they did at training camp, how their stunt rate wasn't really all that different from what the Rams did in 2020. And sure, I'm sure some of that's injuries, personnel, whatever, but it felt like most every day in practice, every other rep was some sort of stunt. Like there were times, you know, Fahoko was going up against Rashawn Slater because they twist, stunt, whatever loop. And I was just surprised by how often they were doing it. And when they got to the regular season, I didn't really see it all that much. They did a, a fair amount for sure, but not as much as I expected, given what they did in training camp. So there's, a, there's definitely a lot here for sure. I was just uh, responding to the question about uh, Donald Parham, who is 100% cleared to go medically, so he'll, he'll be fine. 
Um, it, it was definitely interesting. You know, I've been watching the defensive line mostly, and I, I went back and watched the Chicago Bears with Khalil Mack. And, I mean, I, I don't have any numbers to back this up, but it definitely felt like the Bears and that front were doing and, and running stunts a lot more than the Chargers were. And, you know, Brandon City talked last year about how, you know, the lack of success on first and second down was really limiting them in terms of, like, the designer looks, as he calls them, that they were able to run. And so maybe that was also applicable to stunts and games that they run along the defensive line. But I I think whenever they did them, they were so successful, right? You put Joey Bosa on the interior, put him next to Chenna and Woso, you do some kind of twist or you do some kind of twist with him and Jerry Tillery or, or uh, Drew Tranquil even, who I think is somebody that I think I'm really excited about when it comes to rushing the passer this year. Um, so that's definitely an area that I think they need to increase do it more frequently and listen man like i think there are so many possibilities for pressure packages when you kick joey bosa inside you have calvin or chris rump and then and then khalil mack on the opposite side and i think that kind of personnel package is just going to be you know wonderful this year to watch but they have to do it more and i think down the stretch of the season they finally started to realize like hey joey can really kick some guards ass like this this needs to happen more often uh, and it worked. So I, I think that's a great point to point out, Tyler. Yep. Alrighty. I'll get into my underrated storyline, which, boy, did I go way more underrated than I think you guys might be going. My underrated <laughs> storyline is, will special teams dominate practice time in training camp? Which sounds oh. like such a ridiculous thing. If you weren't there, you don't understand. If you told me that the actual practice, like not talking stretching, was an hour long, Honestly, it felt like 45 minutes of that went to special teams and maybe three minutes of that went to Justin Herbert and the starting offense. And it's no wonder that the offense didn't really have everything installed all the way. You know, there were the illegal shifts, the drops. You know, they didn't prioritize offense and Justin Herbert in training camp. And the flip side, you have defense. And we talked about a little bit before the show. Things are different now. Last year, they were trying out three different kickers and they all kind of sucked. And they had six different returners and they went with yeah. the wrong one and, you know, new special teams coach. And they, they do have that again this year, but things are a lot more defined. So does special teams dominate practice time this year? Again, it seems like it's ridiculous, but I really do feel like them putting that much time in the special teams last year really cost them, especially when some of the guys that they were featuring on special teams during that practice time didn't end up making the team. So it almost felt like it was, worthless and it really did i think hinder the offense so does staley allow that to happen again this year with someone like ficken who's going to have to come in install his new scheme you know put in these new players is that going to happen again or does that kind of take maybe a 50 50 split this year because boy if you went down to watch one of those practices you basically were watching special teams and that was not that exciting yeah the the first practice that i went to was a lot of like seven on seven and it was a lot of 11 on 11 stuff, which was great. You know, those, if you go back on my timeline from back then, that was a lot of the, uh, of the explosive plays that I was showing a lot of the, you know, uh, position drills that I was doing. But then the second day, man, it was like literally 60% special team stuff. And it's so funny, like looking back and, and, you know, I interviewed um, Jeff Miller of the LA times, like leading up to the first game against Washington and like all the beat reporters were like so praiseworthy of what Brandon Staley and Darius Winston were doing because they were like, oh, they looked at this special teams unit as a disaster and they spent 
a ton of time trying to perfect that unit. And then it not only did the special teams not improve, like Tyler's pointing out, it had some other adverse effects as well, where you're talking about an offense that really needed those reps and needed that practice time. So I have a special teams thing here as well. And really, is it just like how much can this unit improve with all of the specialist spots settled, right? Because last year, not only did you have the kicker battle, I mean, Cole Mazza got hurt, I think, after the third week of, of training camp. And so then that's when they brought in Matt Overton. So then they had another change. Um, they flipped returners at each spot. They, 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 the only constant through last season was Ty Long. And this year, I feel like every spot pretty much is set in stone. I mean, Dustin Hopkins has competition, but not really. I mean, he's signed to a multi-year deal. Uh, DeAndre Carter theoretically has competition, but not really based off of what they've said and how he's been used and things like that. So I think special teams has really gone from a sore subject over the last couple of years to now we're just kind of waiting for them to see really how much they can improve. Yeah, um, I mean, I feel like it's almost improved just because everything is settled, right? And, you know, um, we were talking about this in the group chat earlier today. It's like, well, you still have to see him get through, like, four games first before, he, you know, all, <laughs> yeah, all sure. concern is thrown to the side. But at the same time, it's like, we know Dustin Hopkins is an NFL kicker, and last year we were trying out two guys who really weren't NFL kickers. Bachelor, uh, in some ways, has proved himself, but not really. This guy, you know, never was that guy. Uh, Ty Long never really had any competition, but we also never really believed in him as like a, this great punter. Uh, and then the less that is said about the returner position last year, the better. Uh, so I think the fact that you have DeAndre Carter and you know what role you want to use him in, that's great. Um, and obviously was a hand-selected guy by Ryan Picken. And the fact that you have Dustin Hopkins going into year two, really, on this team, which is, in a way, kind of his year one, because he was brought in, you know, midseason last year. Um, I, you know, he's up to date on everything special teams. I, I don't know if they'll spend as much time on it, and I don't know how much it'll really end up impacting the offense. But um, based on the fact that they already have these positions kind of figured out and there's not really any battles, then, I mean, I think that should just kind of I guess, lighten the load for the special teams usage in training camp. But of course, we'll see uh, what happens as it goes on. I guess I'm most curious to just see how many special teams drills they end up running more so. Um, we've heard about like Jalen Guyton at the gunner position, for example, uh, in addition to Kemont Hall and like some of the other guys that have been working there. So I'm more curious to see that stuff on special teams and, and how that's going to be orchestrated but I don't think they'll spend as much time on the, on the real positions of special teams because I, I think they've kind of figured that out already and have shifted the personnel from what was, you know, the previous lid personnel. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think kind of an extension here, I, I haven't like really gone out of my way to watch special teams, but you know, on, on game pass, you always see kind of like the back end of, of the kickoff returns or kickoffs and, and Nick Neiman is always flying around and making plays. And, and I, I think, mm -hmm. You know, we kind of were waiting to see somebody fill that Drew Tranquil, Derek Watt void from 2018. And, you know, Nick Neiman, I think, is more than capable in that regard. So um, he's potentially on the roster bubble. We'll see how that works out as a pure linebacker. But I'm hopeful that he's able to kind of become that special teams ace that the team has been missing for a while. 
We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, Tyler? Sorry, I was responding to a comment. Thank you, Austin, oh. for you know saying nice things about us. I was responding to him. My bad. I, listen, I, I I almost put Nick Neiman in there for our discussion later about underrated Chargers, and I suppose he is because of his role on special teams. Yeah. I would love for to see him get more snaps somewhere. You have this Me very too. talented, seems to be pretty good guy who's earned his role on special teams sort of player. You want to see him take that next step forward. So maybe in year three, hey, maybe he's Drew Tranquil's replacement or Troy Reader's replacement, whatever. But I don't know. Maybe they won't get that opportunity this year. <laughs> maybe. I I, uh, I would love to see more Nick Neiman snaps on defense in uh, 2022. Yeah, 2022. Um, all right. So I, I think the, the point that I want to go to next that I'm curious to get your guys' thoughts on because, you know, we've talked a lot about Austin Eckler being a little bit disrespected uh, over the past couple of weeks. Um, he was eighth i think in madden ratings but the madden ratings in general are just a shit show um i mean jamar chase 15th max crosby crosby out of the top 10 is just like what are we doing um but i do think there is a world in which austin eckler kind of regresses a little bit and particularly in in the touchdown making category because he's not going to get 20 touchdowns this year it's just not who he is as a player on on a regular basis i think so you know, one of the areas that I really want to see them evolve, of course, is the running game by extension. But where do they kind of make up the ground if and when Austin Eckler kind of regresses a little bit this year as a runner? And specifically, you know, his production in the red zone, I think, is is something that's not really talked about a lot on social media. Yeah, I get that. I, I think he's an absolute monster when it comes to that angle route they have in the, in the yeah. red zone every once in a while, even out of their own end zone or into uh, the end zone. That was kind of my next storyline too, is talking about the running back room. And I want to know what they're doing with the running backs in general, but with uh, Isaiah Spiller and whether they do actually use him as that slot receiver, that wide receiver, as that motion guy that the Heat was in college. I think, you know, I talked about it when they drafted him. They did one of two players, in my opinion, an elite athlete or a receiving back. And I think Spiller, he's beyond a receiving back, but he is a guy who can actually catch the football and be a guy who can work outside, work in the slot. And I want to see what he can do there. Yeah, um, you know, Stephen talks about Austin Eckler's, you know, production progressing. And I think in general for the Chargers, if they can find ways to replace that, that should be a good thing, 
right? Because sure. you shouldn't have to use Eckler at the usage rates that they're using Eckler, right? And we saw Eckler, unfortunately, last year get hurt towards the end of the last year. And he, you know, publicly complained about, hey, everyone else behind me sucks. Can you not suck <laughs> so then I can be healthy? Like, yeah. that was really how the end of 2021 went. Uh, and so I think that in that way, you want to see guys like Spiller, um, you know, so, you know, supplant to the RB2 role. So then we don't have to worry too much about Kelly and Roundtree. Um, I was going to bring a more of a macro point about the running game, actually, which is what kind of, you know, playbook do the Chargers run? Uh, what kind of designs do they have? Yeah. Even for players that aren't exclusively running backs. Um, you know, we talked about Xander Horvath uh, a lot on this show. Is, is he a guy that, you know, is going to replace Gabe Neighbors? Can you use him in some run play designs? DeAndre Carter had, uh, you know, 10 rushing attempts last year for 90 yards. Can you use him on some packages, you know, much like Chargers fans have been kind of like begging the team to use end arounds at times, uh, you know. So I'll be curious to see run play designs. Obviously, I don't think in training camp the Chargers are going to like really open up the playbook and show that to the public. But if it gives us at least some kind of indication that they're, you know, working on some of these things, even with players that are outside the running back room, inside the running back room, um, I'll just be curious to see what kind of, uh, you know, run packages they want to run offensively. We've talked about the running to the left versus running to the right thing. If that's kind of fixed with this new offensive line, or if that's mm -hmm. still going to be kind of the, the focus with, you know, Slater and, and Filer on that side. So um, I think that'll be interesting. But in general, yeah, I do think wanting to see Spiller, Roundtree and Kelly step up. Uh, you know, in lieu of Austin Eckler so that they can, you know, finally kind of like bring his usage down a little bit, obviously still the undisputed RB one of this team. Um, but they, ju they just need to have guys step up behind him more, frankly, this offense in some ways, you know, uh, may falter towards the end of the season. Uh, like it did in spots last year. Yeah. I need to see how I they generate some sort of, again, you can't really see this in training camp, but how are you generating these explosive plays that I, people are going to hate me for it, but it's, it's true. And if you look at the numbers, unfortunately, Austin Eckler isn't like an explosive big play sort of guy. And that's fine. That's completely yeah. fine. He's excellent with so many other things, but he's not the home run hitter. He had one play over exactly at 40 yards last year and none past that. And that was until week 17 against the Broncos, where basically everyone left him isolated on a screen to the left. And it's like, and I think he had one run of 28 yards and that was his longest run of the year. Like, how are they generating more explosive plays like like Alex said out of the backfield, whether it's a, a running back or DeAndre Carter or Xander Horvath, how are they trying to get something more explosive? I suppose that's just better blocking. I suppose that's drafting Zion Johnson. I suppose that's just drafting Isaiah Spiller. But I'm curious how they'll they'll integrate that. And in particular with Carter, you know, we talked I just talked about them wasting time last year on special teams with certain players. Austin Pro was really involved with their offense and on special teams. And then he got hurt a little bit and they cut him and there was just nothing there anymore. But Joe Lombardi today, you know, they were looking for a yak and they were really trying to get him involved in that. So is that Carter's role this year? And I want to know, is he involved at all with the ones? Like how much do they use him with the ones, if at all? Or is he just really heavily involved with the twos, which should suggest that he will get some action on game day? Because they do need to justify him being on the team over Andre Roberts. And I really would love to see them try to get him on the field in those situations with the ones maybe it's one hand off of practice i don't know it's just something to get him involved on offense yeah i mean i think um you know kind of going back to something that uh kevin kernick pointed out in the chat 
and this is kind of an extension of what you're saying, you know, like the pony package, meaning when you have two running backs on the field or two people in the backfield alongside Herbert was such a staple in New Orleans over the last few years with Mark Ingram and Alvin Kamara, Tavis Murphy and, and Alvin Kamara. And the Chargers didn't really get to do a whole lot of that last year. They, they would do it from time to time with other players. You know, they put Steven Anderson in the backfield or they would put Keenan Allen in the backfield or Andre Roberts or Jalen Guyton. But they never really trusted a second running back until kind of the back end of the season with Justin Jackson to really kind of execute these packages. And I think it just gives you more options, more personnel packages that you can kind of unleash when you have Eckler and Isaiah Spiller or Eckler and DeAndre Carter that you can kind of motion out and and then just attack different mismatches in different ways. And and I think this will be a, a super crucial part there. And, uh, you know, getting back to Alex's point, just like schematically, the Chargers really didn't have a full-on like identity in terms of the run game, really until like week seven or eight, in my opinion. Because you know, mm-hmm. if, if you watch the first six games, it's like a lot. You know, it's kind of a mixed match of outside zone, inside zone, and gap schemes or counters. And you know, then really in the second half of the season, they really lean heavily into the outside zone stuff, the counter plays, lead pull, whatever you want to call them. And it worked. It worked really well for them. And Arjun pointed out today the Chargers rushing attack in, in outside zone was one of the best in the league, specifically to the left side, of course. So I'm just curious to see how that changes with Brendan Nugent, if at all. Does it go kind of really all in on the zone and counter stuff? Or do they still try and figure out if they're more of a gap scheme, zone scheme? Um, curious to see just how much experimentation happens there with a new offensive line coach. Yes. All right. Uh, Alex, did you have another underrated storyline that you wanted to mention? I don't know if this is an underrated storyline, but just going into training camp, how much fool's gold is there? Um, Tyler mentioned okay. Austin Prohl uh, or last year, and we sort of talked about him as like, oh, is he wide receiver six? Is he, you know, is he effectively the new returner? And then pretty sure, he, you know, it kind of due to injury partially, but he ended up being in the first round of cuts. Uh, I think last year, uh, obviously, there's the infamous Tyron Johnson, you know, scenario. What's less said about that, the better. Um, so I'm curious to see, I guess, how much the coaching staff values some of those big plays that are shown to the public in training camp. Some of those moments okay. where guys just contribute. Um, obviously, I, you know, we won't know who like these guys making big splash plays in um training camp are until we you know get to training camp but um you know i think you could you know make the case that oh well you know just because you see a tweet of someone you know catching a long pass or making a big return doesn't necessarily mean that like that changed the eyes of the coaching staff i guess so i'm curious to see you know and i guess a little bit more skeptical this year of when you you know see kind of a breakout candidate or someone who's having a really good practice how much the coaching staff values that, um, you know, Xander Horvath makes a big play. Does that mean he's taken the lead over someone like Gabe neighbors or does the coaching staff still value neighbors, for example. Right. Um, so I'll be curious to see, I guess, how much the chargers want to show, you know, in these public practices and also how much they value, I guess, what they're showing and, and how much they value player success uh, individually in these practices as well. Was there anybody last year who actually won a job? 
based on their training camp performances in the preseason? Uh, I mean, Steven or, Anderson was a surprise. I bet I don't know if they always had the yeah. intention of making him their fullback or not. I guess I would for, say Steven Forrest Merrill Damon. getting on the final roster, but and for then he was demoted he back. <laughs> well, then he got cut immediately, but he made the final roster. <laughs> That's yeah. true. That is true. Uh, um, I would say I would say Steven Anderson and then Heyman Ogmangwamiga would be like oh yeah the there ones you go who kind of won that battle and or their respective battles I should say mm-hmm. yeah I forgot about that okay there's there's one ish and a half and I guess Storm to an extent yeah yeah they really kept three tackles. Uh, no, they kept four because of Brian Gulaga. Or four. Gulaga yeah. got hurt, yeah. Okay, interesting. Question and then from... after the after Gulaga got hurt, they uh, replaced him with Schofield. Gotcha. Question from LA Chargers fan. RB trio of Eckler, Spiller, and Horvath, Stash Kelly, around you on the practice squad, opens up a spot to keep an extra player at a different position. Um... My thing with Horvath is that I think he's better suited as a hybrid player, not necessarily like a pure running back. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, I, I think there's a big difference between Horvath's skill set and even Kelly and Roundtree, who are kind of, you know, lesser running backs, I think are, are better pure runners than Horvath would be. Yeah, someone let me know what Horvath's yards per attempt in college was. I'm pretty sure it was like 3.5. So I wouldn't like get... <laughs> Super right. ahead of ourselves here that he's an excellent running back. It should be RB3. Yeah, I, I, I think they view Horvath and Neighbors pretty specifically as fullbacks. Um, I mean, obviously, yeah. both of them can contribute you know, in the offense when they're asked to, but also they didn't ask Neighbors to do much last year and had him as a healthy scratch um, pretty frequently throughout the season. So I don't know if that means like a real increased role for either him or Horvath, whoever wins that fullback job. Um I would love to cut down on a running back. Unfortunately, I don't think they're going to do that. <laughs> I think they're going to keep four again, and I think we already know it's going to be Eckler, Spiller, Kelly, and Roundtree. Love to see Kevin Marks or, or Letty Brown in a spot, um, but I think we're pretty set on the four uh, heading into training camp in the, in the preseason. Yeah, a couple of people asking about which uh, roster spot could be an undrafted free agent. I think that if there's any this year, it would be a running back, in my opinion. And yeah. I, I would have said maybe Stone Smart or, or one of the mm-hmm. other tight ends, but Stone uh, has some kind of injury. I, we don't really know what he was placed on the NFL I list yesterday, showed up to uh, training camp you know, on a scooter and in a boot. So some kind of foot injury, not sure what's going on there, but uh, whatever it is, hope he uh, is able to recover as soon as possible. Yeah, really unfortunate. That was kind of the guy that I felt like was taking a little bit of a, not about front runner, but certainly on the rise. And now I just, is there even a chance at this point? I don't know. It depends on the severity. Yeah. Um, of course, got a shout out uh, Tyler's parents, both of them uh, in the uh, chat today and dropping some big super chats as always. Uh, Tyler, any other uh, underrated storyline that was on your mind before today's show? Sure. Are the drops still happening? Is this still a thing? Because yeah. that was pretty early on in camp last year. Uh, Herbert was ninth in drop rate. He led, well, he led the NFL in drops last year. Um, does that continue? Is that still a thing? Have they figured that out? Um, is it apparent to us? And sure, I'm sure 
the drops will increase a bit or the rate should increase in games because there's contested whatnot. But like, is it a problem in camp? I hope not, because even early last year, we could see that Mike Williams was struggling with drops and hopefully things are just a little better this year because as even Jalen Guyton had some drops last year. Like I hope, I hope we're sort of past that or it's not really noticeable in a bad way. Yeah, I think it'll improve at least somewhat with Jared Cook being gone, right? But I think specifically with the receivers, right? Like Keenan Allen very uncharacteristically had a lot of drops last year. Although the second half of the season, he really he really honed that in. Mike Williams had had a bit of a problem pretty much the whole season, though. So um, not a whole lot of chatter about that recently. You know, everybody was really frustrated about it during the season. Um, but it's definitely something that's got to change this year. I'll be curious, um, I guess, in addition uh, to what we just branched off with the undrafted free agents, and I, I do still think Kevin Marks and Lenny Brown is probably the best chance uh, from a running back's perspective. Um, but which early undrafted free agents the coaching staff favors? Um, you have Tyreek Maddox-Williams in the linebacker room. You have Trevon uh, Bradford, a wide receiver. You have a couple guys. Um, just kind of like scattered throughout the roster. Um, Shelby at edge. I remember we sort of talked about him and that was kind of one of Tyler's favorite guys as well. Uh, so I'll be curious to see which early undrafted free agents have a leg up. Again, maybe that doesn't end up meaning anything because of, you know, some of the decisions we saw made towards the end of last training camp. But if you get some good momentum from training camp heading into those preseason games, could mean a lot uh, for a guy like, like Eckler, like it did a couple of years ago. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, there's always one, right? Like, there's always one on draft free agent that we kind of don't necessarily predict that kind of uh, has a big training camp and, and you know makes some noise. I don't think anybody, any of us, would have expected Eamon Ogbong when we get to make the roster, you know, heading into training camp. So um, maybe it's you know someone that we're not really talking about very much, like that old Dominion receiver, isn't there? Or is that Stone? That's Stone. That's Stone. Who's the other receiver that one of you guys talked about? Bradford. Uh, sure. He's the one from Oregon State. Awesome. That there's, guy. There's a second one, though. There's a second un, undrafted free agent receiver, though, isn't there? Uh, I can't remember. I think that is smart, though, because he was listed as wide receiver, and then they put him at tight end, right? I don't, I don't know. I don't remember another wide receiver off the top of my head. Uh, our lads, where are you? I'm just looking up at the roster right now. Um, Old Dominion Center, maybe, Tyler. Isaac Weaver, Old Dominion Center, maybe. That wasn't the guy I had to cover. but <laughs> Well, I'm just thinking he was another Old Dominion player. Oh, oh okay, gotcha. Let's all remember sure. the book reports we did two months ago. <laughs> um, wait, where are the receivers at? sort of extension because we just talked about him does Ogbong Bamiga even make the roster this year I think he'll make it for the same reason he made it last year Murray's not healthy I think he'll still make it again mm. yeah he could um depends if Murray's healthy I guess I guess this is really a question about do you buy the Ogbong Bamiga hype train because you know mm-hmm. obviously there's the reports that the coaching staff is really high on him um I guess, yeah, I, I just view him as a fringe guy on the roster and he'll make it if Kenneth Murray's hurt. Mm-hmm. If not, um, you know, I guess this is really a question about like the linebackers they have like behind him is, you know, can Tyreek Maddox-Williams or any like undrafted free agents or guys really push him uh, or does the coaching staff really believe that much in Ogmog Bumiga himself? 
Uh, I don't really know the answer, but I, I'd say he's probably pretty safe at this point. Yeah, I think he'll make the roster. Um, you know, we we had heard that the coaching staff was really high on him. Uh, and, you know, I was told, like, point blank that he was in the running for the starting spot. Um, then they signed Troy Reader and Kyle Van Oy, so I don't know if that necessarily changed. But, you know, he was pretty much – he was pretty clearly the favorite over Nick Neiman for – linebacker four last year. So I, I wouldn't expect that to change unless he gets injured or unless he just kind of, you know, kind of flounders his uh, opportunity. Thank you to the Chargers, by the way, for listing Morgan Fox as a defensive lineman while every website imaginable lists him at edge. <laughs> Thank you. For yeah. That. Yeah. There's a lot of that. All right. The, um, the last one that I want to talk about um, is how does this staff and how does Khalil Mack, in, in particular, uh, decrease the amount of double teams and triple teams mm. that are thrown Joey Bosa's way? Because I think we heard, you know, that was a lot of the selling point of of Brandon Staley's, you know, defensive plan was that he was going to free up Joey Bosa to do a lot more things, and and some of that came to fruition. Right, I think you know he was able to rush against guards quite a bit more often. Uh, as opposed to what Gus Bradley did, who, as we know, very simple. He's going to line up at left defensive end. He's going to rush against tackles. There's not going to be a whole lot of changes. Um, so I, I think they did a decent enough job of mixing up where Joey would rush from. But, I mean, you're talking about a 24% double team rate last year, which I think was second only behind Miles Garrett among uh, qualified edge rushers, which – Miles Garrett, that's another one where he just lines up against the left tackle and he just rushes. So it's it's a little easier for to double team from that spot. But you know, we need to see that double team rate come down by I think at least five percent for Joey to really reach his sack potential. And that that's a big deal in you know, in terms of where he stands around the league, in terms of him maybe challenging for a first team all pro ballot or a second team all pro ballot or defensive player of the year, because he's never really been you know, a 15, 16, 17 sack kind of player. But in this defense with this defensive line, I think he has the potential to get there if they can, you know, get that double team rate down to 16, 17, 18% this year. Yeah, I'd love to know how much of that will be manufactured or how much of it is just natural. Like, will him having better players, I'll let not yeah. Jerry Tillery next to him, does that immediately just free him up? Does that make it? Well, he might still have Jerry Tillery next to him, um, <laughs> but like, does he naturally because of the other players like Khalil Max, Sebastian Joseph Day, whatever? Does that make him freed up? You know, do they involve defensive backs with this? I don't recall if Joey Bosa was no, he wasn't on the field when Adderley and James both blitz because he left pretty early that game. But I'm curious oh, how they against use, the Bengals. Yeah, yeah, no, he was out at that point. Yes, I'm really curious how they use those defensive backs and maybe Troy Reader is part of the blitz package. Um, but you have an athlete in JT Woods either to play deep or to blitz. You know, and Nishio Adderley can move up or whatever. Um, you have just your Taylor. You do have a lot of guys who can do a lot of this you know, incredible work as athletes and blitzing the passer. So I really think that's something that just your Taylor did quite a bit and did very well. It's a very standout trait for what he did in college. And I'm Absolutely. curious if that continues. Yeah, for me, it's... I mean, they have huge upgrades at edge, right? I mean, we're going from Kyler Fackrell and Uchenna and Wosu to Kyle Vanoy and Khalil Mack, right? Like that to me is like, at that point, Joey Bosa is going to be freed up, not to mention they obviously 
upgraded the interior. Now, does that come to a fault? And do you have to get more creative if Khalil Mack gets hurt? Sure. But, I mean, you would have to do that, I guess, anyway, even if Chenna Nuosu got hurt, for example, last year. Um, so, for sure. me, I think it's just all about the upgrades that they made over the offseason, um, how much they end up panning out. But, I mean, on paper, Joey Bosa should be freed up a lot more than he was um, even compared to last season. So, we'll see how that goes. Um, I, I guess I will be curious to see, you know, how much they want to bring, you know, Derwin James, Drew Tranquil, uh, some of those guys into, you know, blitzing and rushing the passer. Um, so, yeah, that, that, that'll that be interesting to see. But I think just naturally on its own, kind of like you guys have said, just because of the upgrade of talent, I mean, they should be able to free up Joey Bosa. And if they're not, even after adding Khalil Mack and Kyle Vandaway, it's kind of a problem. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I did a video on the pass rush for, you know, our, our YouTube members and, and patrons earlier in the offseason. And, you know, the upgrades in the pass rush are, are definitely significant. But I still think they need to obviously get creative and mi- and mix and match packages and stunts like we were talking about. Because um, if Joey can get his double team rate down to fifteen percent, like a whop- like eight percent is a huge change. Mm-hmm. And if you're talking about you know double team percentage of fifteen percent for Joey Bosa, I think you could talk about you know sixteen sack kind of season, and maybe he gets up to ninety one hundred pressures because. Uh, <laughs> I'm telling you, like that man is so underrated in general a- around mm-hmm. the country and around the league. And you know, I, I they were, I think PFF really kind of lowballed him quite a bit in terms of the pressures and sacks last year. Um, but he's just so technically refined and and just gives tackles hell every single week. Um, very similar to like what Keenan Allen does to defensive backs, although Joey obviously yeah. a bit more of a an explosive athlete. Right. But mm-hmm. I, I think Joey's potential this year is an underrated storyline from, you know, kind of like an outsider's perspective this, this season. Yeah. No, it's a really good call. I would love to see him succeed after, obviously I want Herbert to win. I want Allen to win, but after Keenan Allen, it's really Joey Bosa. The guy's been through shit, like some bad coaches, bad. Yeah, this guy was, I don't remember if he won a national championship at Ohio state, but like he did yeah. a good, good program. Uh, great coach. No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> was that Urban still? I don't that was yeah. Urban still. Neat. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, he wasn't to... a he wasn't a total piece of shit at that time. We can say no. That. He was still a total piece of shit. You guys just ignored it. <laughs> Fair. Um, Fair. Yeah, I would love for him to do well because it's very it was very frustrating watching him against the Patriots get triple teamed. You know, 15 yeah. percent of the time. It's like, come on, what are we doing here? Somebody, somebody, step up. And um, hopefully, his teammates do. Yeah, um, you know, I hope that they do get more creative, but I guess it's just like they don't necessarily need to, hopefully. Sure. And and that's also just monitoring both of uh, Joey Bosa's health, obviously his history of concussions and um, Khalil Max as well, that. given what happened last season. So um, I guess I'll be interested to see, like, obviously this is kind of just a depth chart thing, but like how many, like, sort of what is their plan B, I guess, if, if those guys do go down. Um, you know, does it involve just like sticking Kyle Van Noy in there? Does it, you know, involve bringing up guys like Derwin and Drew to kind of like make plays in their place and, and manufacture some pressure? Um, so that I think would be interesting, but you know, that's more of like a, what do you kind of do in like a preseason scenario? That that I guess would kind of be one of the more interesting things to watch in the preseason when Joey and Khalil obviously aren't going to be playing. 
I mean, to me, if if either of those two get injured, you're looking at Calvin always as a full-time edge rusher. Like, you're not even putting him at linebacker at all at that point. I'd agree. Probably, yeah. All right. Well, uh, we'll move on specifically to some uh, underrated chargers at this point. Um, I've talked a lot about Nasir Adderley, so I, I if you guys want to talk about him, you can. But I, I think he... Uh, deserves a mention, but my first player that I wanted to talk about here is actually Jalen Guyton. And uh, hmm. a few weeks back, I I saw some people talking about him online and how he's trash and how he just like it doesn't bring anything to the team and like all this. And like that's the thing. So many people in today's world live in a he's elite or he's trash, and I just don't <laughs> think that's very yeah. fair when you're talking about a 53 man roster. And so I don't think Jalen Guyton by any means is like a great player, but I think he's very successful in the role that he has on this team. And so I went and looked over the last two years, just kind of who each team's third wide receiver was, uh, how many targets did they have, how many yards, how many touchdowns, how successful were they? And obviously there are certain teams where you're talking about like an Antonio Brown person as your wide receiver three or, you know, the 2020 Panthers with Curtis Samuel as your wide receiver three, like those teams mm-hmm. probably have, you know, a, a higher success rate of, of that point. But um, I wanted to look at this and see where Jalen Guyton stacked up. And, and essentially like the bar that you're looking at to see if your wide receiver three is, is a good wide receiver three. Is he a reliable wide receiver? Wide receiver three is right about 500 yards receiving. And, Jalen Guyton had 511 in 2020 and 448 in uh, 2021. So I think for the player that he is, he's a very useful speedster player. Um, and by no means is he like the worst wide receiver three in the world. I mean, you're talking about the Tennessee Titans in 2020 had Adam Humphreys, 224 yards and two touchdowns. Uh, the Houston Texans in 2021, Danny Amendola, uh, 243 yards and oh one God, touchdown. Texans? Oh, yeah. God. I mean, the Jaguars last year, Tavon Austin was their wide receiver three with 211 yards and one touchdown. Uh, the Jets, Braxton Berrios, 37 catches, 390 yards and two touchdowns. Uh, Isaiah Ford on the Miami Dolphins in 2020, or Albert Wilson on the Dolphins in 2021. So I, by no means is Jalen Guyton like a great player. But I think he's a solid wide receiver three option. I also think he's going to be replaced this year a little bit with Josh Palmer. But Jalen Guyton to me is someone that is absolutely underrated by Chargers fans. Yeah, I love that. You're absolutely right with the the trash talk with Jalen Guyton, his hands being bellic and all that. Like, sure, like you said, he's not a great player, but he's a solid role player for what he does. And that it, if he continues his trajectory, he's going to get a nice contract. He's going to be pretty good for the Chargers this year, unless they completely phase him out for Josh Palmer. But I, I definitely have a soft spot for Jalen Guyton. And look, I think until the last week of the season, I believe Jalen Guyton had more fourth down targets than Mike Williams. There was like a lot of trust yeah. that Herbert had in Jalen Guyton. It just happened to be that final game against the Raiders. They spammed Mike Williams, but he was really you know a factor for them. And Justin Herbert really taking that next step forward in the second half of the year, partially because he was targeting Jalen, targeting Jalen Guyton. You know, we don't have that play against the giants without Jalen Guyton. We don't have him, you know, mossing Jesse Bates without Jalen Guyton. Yeah. You know, there, there, there are plays, a certain level of comfort that Herbert started to reach throwing just a little bit deeper or just taking those chances. And that was partially because of Jalen Guyton. So yeah, I absolutely agree. He's an underrated player and I wish 
I don't need Chargers fans to think he's the wide receiver two or that he's one of the best receivers on the team or whatever. Not even the best wide receiver three of the Telesco era. I don't think any of us even drafted him, but he's a good player. Like he's a solid player for his role. And I do wish he got more appreciation. Uh, actually, I drafted Jalen Guyton. As yeah, I was going to say, I feel like I, I, oh, I forgot you drafted, I drafted 72 him. wide receivers. Yeah, yeah. I, my 72 <laughs> wide receiver team. So you guys had to set, settle for Eddie Royal. Uh, so, um, I think Jalen Guyton is underrated, especially considering the improvements he made last year. Of course, there, you know, there's yeah. moments like the drop touchdown in the Kansas City game, and you can point to some of the drops here and there. Um, but much improved as a blocker. I think much improved as a route runner. I mean, compared to 2020, I think he was yes. definitely a more multi-dimensional uh, receiver. You know, if you want to say that, I don't know if he's wide receiver 3A or 3B. You know, that's like a whole thing that's going to play out during the season as well. Um, but I, I think Jalen Guyton's certainly underrated. Um, I'm going to go with an underrated name. I'm going to say Drew Tranquil, um, the David Letterman of our time. He uh, <laughs> he is uh, he's a uh, I mean, through 10 games last year, he was the only linebacker we were comfortable playing at all. Um, I just mm-hmm. looked up Drew Tranquil on Twitter just because I was curious to see uh, things that were being said about him. And Steven has a tweet from September 28th, 2021 that says, Drew Tranquil should not come off the field like ever. 100% snaps, please. Um, that was how we felt. I mean, Sounds all through right. October. <laughs> and then he got hurt, right? Um, obviously, Kenneth Murray gets hurt, too. Uh, and if you just want some numbers through you know, Drew Tranquil through the first 10 games or so, Drew Tranquil actually was 10th in the league at one point in defense grade, 10th in pass rush uh, amongst linebackers as well, mm-hmm. uh, 15th in coverage, 16th in run defense about halfway through last year. Um, so, I mean, Tranquil, we, we've talked about using him in blitz packages as well. Easily the best coverage linebacker on the team kind of by default. I think sometimes we don't we don't know how important he is because we don't totally know what like the coaching staff's plan is at the linebacker group and how he's going to be here long term or whether he won't, uh, given how the Chargers kind of don't value linebackers. But in the interim, especially with Kenneth Murray's injury, um, especially with not a whole lot of linebacker depth aside from Kyle Van Noy, who's also splitting a time at edge, I think Drew Tranquil becomes one of the most pivotal players of 2022 if the chargers are to make strides in the linebacker room especially given you know how ambiguous the kenneth murray situation is uh and how much that is up in the air because of injuries so uh, i know we don't talk about him as like an elite player and i don't believe he is an elite player um but certainly of the chargers linebackers he's easily the best one and has consistently been the most reliable yeah, you know, I've gained a real appreciation for Drew Tranquil as a blitzer and a pass rusher in studying him over the first, you know, about nine games into last season. And I think obviously there was, um, you know, the sack that he created against Patrick Mahomes in week two. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I just finished up the Steelers game from last year and they don't win that game without Drew Tranquil, the pass rusher and what he was able mm-hmm. to do to free up um, other opportunities. And, and he really... He worked Najee Harris in, in some blitz pickups. There was also another play where he beat, I forget the name of their left guard. I want to say it's like uh, Meg or Haig or something like that. Um, but, you know, they put Drew Tranquil, Joey Bosa, and Uchenna Nwosu all next to each other off of the left side of the offensive line. And Tranquil beat this left guard relatively easily. It didn't result in a sack because Najee Harris kind of came over uh, and helped him out. But it freed up Uchenna Nwosu to get this sack. 
and actually caused the fumble. So I, mm. I've gained a real appreciation for Tranquil as a blitzer. Um, I think he's comfortably their best linebacker this year heading into the season. And yeah, uh, very hopeful that he is their linebacker one because uh, I can't do a Troy Reader linebacker one or, or Kenneth Murray linebacker one season. So hopefully that tweet from last year rings true this year with uh, mm-hmm. Drew Tranquil. I so my underrated guy was going to be Troy Reader because uh, we can talk about it now. Do you actually think Drew Tranquil is starting over Troy Reader? Like I'm, I'm not that we want or don't want that to happen, <laughs> but we again Eric Banks. I will say that until Staley is fired. Like Eric Banks. Was <laughs> That's last true. Year. Like so, do we actually think that Drew Tranquil is the starter? Especially because last year they had him as LB three, which I guess makes sense with Moran White, but they didn't have him as the starter last year. Does Reader start over him this year? Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire. By famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady. Live only on Netflix. Oh, man. <laughs> if they start Troy Reader <laughs> over Drew Tranquil, I'm going to be so disappointed. Daly wants his guys on his defense, man. And Well, I hope when Brandon Staley came on the podcast, I, I haven't listened to it, but I hope Drew Tranquil sweetened him up so that we get some Drew Tranquil yeah. linebacker one over Reader linebacker one. Because uh, if you watched Reader film yeah. last year, that's uh, not pretty. I, like, I'd be okay with Troy Reader taking a little bit more of the run defense snaps from Tranquil. Okay. Like I yeah. think I think Reader is maybe slightly better than Tranquil at like just diagnosing traffic and, mm-hmm. and getting to the ball in that sense and I think that's a fair comment but you know then you're also like are you doing Troy Reader and Kenneth Murray uh, or are you doing you know Reader and Tranquil? I, I think for me, Tranquil is just like the most even keel player who can play good against the run, play good against the pass, rush the passer. I think he just gives you the most well-balanced player there, uh, which is why I think he should be their linebacker one. Yeah, I, I also feel like the Chargers are going to be in a lot of games where teams have to throw to beat them. There's going to be a lot of shootouts, I you know, particularly yeah. this year compared to last year where the run defense was just like, oh, you can have Rex Burkhead and he'll have 200 yards. <laughs> Hopefully it's not that way this year. And I think you can project that with how the Chargers are going to be scoring with Justin Herbert. Teams are going to have to throw against them, I think, more so. And that would certainly lean towards uh, more Drew Tranquil. I would recommend for your safety and your well-being <laughs> that you do not watch uh, any Troy Reader uh, pass coverage film. Yeah, it's not pretty, not pretty. Um, Tyler, did you have uh, another underrated player you want to talk about besides Troy Reader? Uh, yeah, uh, my uh, if I'm I'm the before picture to his after uh, Xander Horvath um, as the underrated player, which doesn't he might he'll have a role as is, but watching again, I've been watching Mike Williams, Keenan on. It's so apparent to me that Steven Anderson was such an integral part of this offense. And that yeah. honestly, they probably should have just re-signed him because he's so good. And there were very many instances where they needed a touchdown, a screen, some sort of kind of trickery in their offense. And Steven Anderson was a part of that. And now he's gone. 
So does Xander Horvath take up that role? I think if they want to have the same offense they did last year, which was very, I don't want to say productive, but it was efficient. It worked very well when Steven Anderson touched the ball. Xander Horvath has to come into his own and be that weapon for them as well. Like you're not just being Xander Horvath. To me, you also have to be Xander Horvath, who is showing to be at least Steven Anderson's level last year, if not better. I, if you regress or if you have a player in Xander Horvath, if that's his role, I suppose we don't know his role yet, but if that is kind of his role, I would hate to see them regress because they got rid of Steven Anderson for the cheap and they got Horvath and he wasn't that good. There's there's a lot to this offense that involves Steven Anderson, particularly we saw that against the Eagles. And I hope that Horvath can replicate some of that. And we'll find out pretty soon what his role is. So you know, between that, his role, maybe as a rusher, his role in short yarded situations, as a blocker on special teams, I think that you know they drafted him because they believed in something that he had. Maybe it's just his RAS score. Maybe it's just his body physique. Um, but they believe in him, I think. And I want to see that pay off on the field this year. Yeah, I think if you are convincing yourself in like Horvath's potential over Steven Anderson, I think the athleticism is is right there. You know, maybe they they think that that's a way to kind of hunt some more you know, explosive plays with somebody who's a bit of a better athlete, you know, maybe get him involved in the screen game, uh, maybe hand the ball off to him or Gerald Everett. Um, So I'm just, I'm really excited to see what they do in general with like the tight end room, because Mm -hmm. um, we, we all figured, you know, Jared Cook was going to come in and he was going to be a target hog in that room. Um, Donald Parham maybe takes a step forward and he did obviously the season didn't end the the way that we all wanted. Um, Trey McKitty as your blocker. But now we're hearing from Daniel Popper and others that Trey McKitty is kind of taking a step forward uh, with his body, with his route running. You know, Donald Parm, mm-hmm. of course, continues to improve. You had Gerald Everett, you had Xander Horvath. So I'm just so excited to see all of this come to fruition. I'll be curious in a way to see how they really view Horvath because I feel yeah. like our perception of him is obviously, you know, they, they use the draft pick on him. Granted, again, it was like their last pick in a draft where they did have multiple, you know, uh, six round picks, right? Uh, six or and they, seventh, yeah. Yeah, yeah six and seventh round picks. Um, so I almost feel like they value him a little less than maybe we think, right? And we kind of talk ourselves into like, okay, well, they'll use him as a runner in some situations. They'll use him if you're a tight end as a pass catcher. But it's like, there's also a team that had Gabe Neighbors as like a healthy scratch for half the year, right? And does that say more about Gabe Neighbors or does that say more about how they view fullbacks in general? Like, I don't know. Um, that's something that's going to be tested, uh, I think, through training camp, through the preseason, and, you know, whether or not they end up using one or either of these fullbacks during the course of the regular season. So I almost feel like Horvath is kind of overrated because we don't really know what the coaching staff or not that he's overrated as a player, but what the coaching staff's perception of him might be a little bit overrated. I mean, we did spend 10 minutes of one final podcast, just looking at a picture of him shirtless. Um, so <laughs> we can do I it mean, again. I, I, yeah. I wouldn't mind it. Bring it, <laughs> roll the tape. Um, but at the same time, I do feel like when we talk about Horvath, he just, I, I want to see, I guess, what the concrete plan is to use him. Um, you know, obviously we could talk about him, you know, sort of being that multidimensional fullback weapon, but it's also like, do they want to use a fullback, right? Do they really want to incorporate that into their offense? And is neighbors really as out the door as we think he is now? 
obviously neighbors is Justin Herbert's best buddy. Um, so I do think there is some ambiguity to like poor bath hype and, and how much of that ends up being real. I don't know. Yeah. Lots of Xander Horvath talk today. So uh, a couple people mentioning uh, some other names here. So I'll, I'll throw one more out. Um, and that's going to be Austin Johnson. Of course, I've talked about him. Uh, you know, I talked about him on the trade deadline. And obviously, we did a lot of uh, work with uh, free agency. But I think he's a, a, a very solid addition. And, and, you know, I think there's an argument to be had that he's one potentially this year's Matt Filer, where he not necessarily an elite player. But just comes in and stabilizes a position and brings a lot of value to this uh, to this defensive line and to this team overall. Um, and, and so I, I loved going back and watching him a, a few month, a few weeks back and uh, looking at his his PFF profile and things like that. So I mean, his grades are not great, but I mean he had 34 run stops, which was tied for fifth most in the league. His run stop percentage of 10.4 was uh, 11th most in league, right next to uh Kasi, who just got a big big deal uh right next to Quinnen Williams, Lawrence Guy, Christian Wilkins, players who, who are kind of universally regarded as like top tier run defenders. Um his run stop, his total run stop was tied with Zach Sealer, it was tied with Jeffrey Simmons, it was uh two more than Cameron Hayward. So I'm really excited about Austin Johnson and I don't think he, his his addition is uh getting enough love either this off season. Yeah, it's definitely a boring ass position to talk about, um, but I can't wait to watch him on the field. No one's going to talk about him in training camp. Like nobody talks about anybody who's in the in middle of the line that half the beat reporters aren't paying attention to anyway. Um, so yeah, I think he will definitely be an underrated player in training camp and during the season. I don't know for being in the middle of the line. We talk about Jerry Tillery quite a lot. Well, that's because he's not in the middle of the line. That's because he's, he's not seven good. Yeah. <laughs> I set him up and he hits him down. Well done. Well done. Uh, either of you have uh, another under, underrated player you wanted to uh, highlight here? Um, Not unless there's a move from Matt Filer to right tackle. Otherwise, I mean, it could be one of those two guards. I'd love to see them take their job, but eh. I'd love to say Braden Fajoko, but I don't think he's going to make the team, unfortunately. Sad face. Yeah. Alex, anyone? Mm, I think we've kind of named all the guys. Um, does anyone want to be on Roundtree as underrated island? I, I, don't, <laughs> I don't really want to be there, so I think we no. kind of went through all the guys already. No, I would quit there, that challenge. Uh, there's definitely an island for a Roundtree, and there's definitely an island for Easton's take. A lot of people think that those two players are, are underrated. So, Yeah, well, maybe we'll get to them as our overrated episode if we do one of those. But... <laughs> There we go. There we go. So uh, a couple people mentioned Zion, of course. Zion's not underrated on this show. I can tell you that much. Mm-hmm. Um, mentions for Josh Palmer, Bryce Callahan. Uh, Bryce Callahan is very, uh, I think it's a really good call. Really the biggest mm-hmm. thing there is can he stay healthy or not? Um, yeah. When he's been on the field, he's been very good. Jasir Taylor mentioned. I like that one. I'm a little curious about Dean Leonard. I do. I don't know if he's underrated this year because I don't even know if he's making the roster. But if he does, and if he does hang in there and stick in there as a decent outside corner, Michael Davis is gone next year. It'd be nice to have some sort of developmental guy on your sure. roster that you have some faith in. So definitely mm-hmm. be watching his development for sure when he's not covering guys who are being thrown to by Easton Stick. Yeah, I, I'd like to see what they think of Dean Leonard, I guess, and whether or not that's enough to like 
bump someone like a Tavon Campbell, right? I mean, who's effectively kind of their CB like five now. Do they kind of view maybe that last spot coming down to like him, Dean Leonard, Kimon Hall, uh, some of those guys. So I, I guess that'll be the interesting thing to watch the training camp. Yeah, and you know, as Thomas points out, that could be an under underrated storyline in and of itself. You know, Tavon Campbell versus the two mm. rookies. So, mm-hmm. I think it's more specifically Campbell versus Dean Leonard, like Tyler is mentioning, because I feel like Jasir and Kimon Hall have the two similar yeah. skill sets, and then Campbell and Dean Leonard have similar skill sets. Yeah. And I, I know people really like to shit on Tavon Campbell, but. I mean, he was he was good when he was not the cornerback one. Like when he was cornerback three, he was he was a good player in that role. Um, I just there were so many moving parts right. in that secondary, and then he ended up taking number one snaps against Devontae Smith and Justin Jefferson, and um, that would have been Deontay Johnson. So it was just it was just kind of a mess in the middle of the season. Yeah, I think it's just a question of do you want kind of that more developmental guy like Tyler's talking about, someone who's kind of young uh, like a Dean Leonard, or do you want for a team that I guess is supposed to be contending for the playoffs in Super Bowl, someone who's kind of done it before, um, you know, as a depth cornerback and can kind of you know feel that spot in the rotation if he's asked to do so, um, even though, you know, you're not, you're not developing Tom Campbell, he's 30. Um, so I think yeah. that's, which I couldn't believe he's 30, but, um, but yeah, that's going to be the interesting thing I think to watch with, um, you know, whether they take Dean Leonard on the practice squad or whether they put him on, you know, the active roster. And that's obviously in flux from week to week two, uh, with, uh, you know, injuries and such. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, Hopefully you guys enjoyed this episode. Hopefully you enjoyed the uh, underrated talk. So on uh, Sunday, we're going to talk about the most exciting or intriguing training camp battles. So if we didn't cover somebody that you uh, hoped we would cover tonight, we're hopefully going to cover them on Sunday. And then we're officially in training camp week. So uh, if you missed it, Tyler is going to be kind of our uh, man on the ground for the most part this year. Uh, We'll see if I'm able to make it out, but it's going to be a lot of fun so excited that football is back it's uh you know that time of year where we get a lot more football content than usual so uh stay subbed stay uh stay subbed on youtube and audio podcast platforms make sure you're following all three of our twitter pages and arjun as well as maddie um tyler any final thoughts before we head out for the evening Thank God. I don't know if people wanted to hear my <laughs> running back rankings. Um, I can display. I I freaking statistically ranked like 50 running backs um, and we're not going to get to it, but that's OK. I'm happy the football is back because <laughs> like, I, you know, I started to feel it after a while. And I think even our audience felt that yeah. I saw a couple of comments like, please, God, like let the season start so we don't have to yeah. watch, you know, this stuff anymore. So I uh, can't wait to get to the season. And it's, it's like it's fun. It's training camp and the preseason. We're all winners. We're all really good, and these players are showing out. And then, you know, Chargers fans know the rest. So hopefully it's different this year. Yep. Um, yeah, obviously, if you are kind of on the fence about going to training camp, I, w- I would strongly encourage you to get off that fence and make it up for uh, a weekend of practice or something like that. And it's just such a unique experience as a football fan being able to be up close and personal with them. So, um <laughs> Tyler, any final thoughts? Thank God. Yeah, couldn't have said that any better, man. I really appreciate that. 
Um, thank you guys for uh, joining us today. Thank you for the comments. And we'll see you guys next time. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m., and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com.